All right. How was your weekend? Two people had good, everyone else awful. <laughs> what did you say? Beautiful? Oh, beautiful weekend. I, I like that. That's a good start. Beautiful weekend. Next week, we're going to have a super interesting thing. We're going to have the worship leaders that we have in this church up here. We have three of them. We're going to bring them up here. And the entire focus next week is going to be on modern corporate worship. What that means is, why do we do what we do in the sanctuary on Sundays? Why do we have music? Why do we sing? Why do some people raise their hands? Why do people, you know, sit down? How come some people are sleeping? We're going to talk about all that, okay? As far as like, what is the, the reason all this happens? Is it in Scripture? Are we supposed to do it? All that kind of stuff. It's going to be a really fun time. I think you will enjoy that. Also, let's see if there's anything else I want to tell you before I jump to the heart of this. I don't think so. I think we're good. We are scared of worship. Okay? Man has been terrified of encountering God since the tree. And of course, I'm talking about the tree in the garden, okay, right? You know, you guys all went to Bible school, right? When you were like five, okay? You guys had like the felt boards, right? You know, like Adam had like the figs. Come on, come on. I mean, did you guys not get the felt boards, you know? And like they had a tree and like a snake, and they're like, here's Adam and here's Eve, and like they're not really naked, but you know, we're gonna. Come on, really? Okay. I had that. Maybe we just went to a really messed up church. I don't know, okay? But, uh. So we have this situation, okay, where, where Adam and Eve, they were created for worship, which, which the most fundamental part of worship is the relationship, okay? And so you see this, this, this two-way reaction that takes place. Here's man, he has senses, he can see and smell and think and touch, and every time that his creator comes around, he sees and smells and thinks and touches, and he takes God in and he reacts to God. He takes God in and he reacts to God. And we see this beautiful relationship, this whole thing that's been lost, this whole thing that Jesus came to restore. But then we see that Satan gets in, he tricks them, and then with this lie, we see that they eat the fruit of the only tree that they were told not to do. The only rule they were given in all of existence, don't eat this fruit. And what this fruit was, it was from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Often when we teach this, we teach that, you know, they ate from the tree of the knowledge of evil. It was, it was knowledge to judge. It was the knowledge of good and evil. And what this is, is it allowed man to have the ability to weigh things, to decide, to make judgments for himself. And what took place when we took this bite of the fruit, we in essence were taking the seat of God. And so the reason that we are so afraid of worship is because in worship we have to encounter Him. In essence, you have to come face to face with the person, with the God whose seat you're sitting in. Because see, once we had this ability to judge for ourselves, we had the ability to control our own lives. So God wants me to go that way. But I looked at the same thing, and I just, I'm going to do this instead. So he wants this for me, but I'm going to do this. And so what happened from the tree forward, we gained control. Control. Control to live without him. And the reason that we are terrified of worship is because you cannot have worship without encounter. If you're taking notes, take this down. You cannot have worship without encounter. All worship 
is based from either a present encounter with God or from a past encounter with God. Did you get that? It could be physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. It doesn't matter. All worship comes from encounter. We take Him in and we respond. If it comes from a past encounter, we are trying to, to remake, to re-experience what we once experienced, a past encounter. So we react from what we used to know. We react from what we experienced. But there's also worship from present encounter. Now there's a reason that this is dangerous, okay? Because you cannot encounter God without being changed. Did you get that? fundamentally, we are terrified of worship because if we're really going to worship, that means that we really got to get close. And if we're really going to get close, we really can't leave the same. We're doing good this morning, guys. I'm not sure if you realize, but we're doing really good, okay? To worship is to come close. To come close is to leave changed. And if we're being honest with ourselves, sometimes we like it the way it is. It might not be great. It might not be awesome, but at least I got a handle on it. I got a little bit of control. It might be terrible. It might be a mess, but it's my mess. It's the way I want it. Whenever I, whenever I got married, all right, Nisa, just plug your ears. She's kind of, a, kind of an OCD, kind of a neat freak, all right? She wants everything to have its order in its place. If there's one thing in this world I do not understand, it's folding clothes. What is the point, people? Why do you fold it? Well, if you don't fold it, it's going to be wrinkled. It's going to have creases now that you folded it. And so she didn't understand my system. I want clean clothes. I, you know, I would clean my own clothes. But I would take them and dump them in a pile in a closet and close the door. If I need something, I can find it. I know where it is. It might be a mess, but it's my mess. It's how I like it to be. And there's something scary, though, because when you let someone close... Bless her, right? <laughs> Come on, I.J., leave me alone. Come on. So sometimes what I do is I, I will sneak a pile sometimes. I have this little spot. You can't see it on the far side of the bed. And I'll just kind of start a little pile there. She'll, she won't even know. <laughs> she wasn't paying attention. You're okay. She's too embarrassed to listen. She's okay. All right. Who's ever seen The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? It's a movie, C.S. Lewis. It's a kid's story. There's no book that exists that has more spiritual truth in it to me, besides the Bible, okay, than this. And there's a line in it. And I think it really explains this whole kind of situation with, with God, with Jesus. And the context of this line is, you know, these kids, it's, it's their first time into this whole new world. They have no idea what's going on, what's up, what's down. And so they found talking beavers. And these talking beavers are explaining them, you know, the whole situation. Here's what's going on. Here's how the world works. Here's who, here's who this lion is that we're all talking about. And, of course, you know, this lion, Aslan, is a picture of Jesus. And so here's what they say about him. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Okay, I'm sorry. Imagine you're five, okay? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good, and he is the king. 
There's something about this whole thing with God having the ability to do whatever He wants to do that scares us. Of course He isn't safe, but He's good. And we always struggle with this fundamental question. If I let Him in, do I really want to let Him do what He wants to do? Do I really trust Him? Does He really, is He really here to help me? Does He really have my best intentions? And if you understand, this is the same lie that Satan used. Are you sure that He really has your best intentions? Are you sure that you wouldn't rather take control back? Are you sure that He loves you that much? And the, the crazy thing is we are all falling for the same lie even today. So here's why worship is so powerful. Because worship causes us to get close. And the moment that we encounter God, the moment you get around Him, you cannot help but realize what you've messed up. The moment you get around Him, you cannot help but step out of that seat of control and say, all right, here, you, you just go ahead and take your place. Fundamentally, worship is where we allow God to retake control, where we allow Him to retake the throne in our hearts and in our lives. Did you get that? Did you get that? Worship is where He retakes the throne in our lives. And that's why so many of you keep it at arm's length. I'm okay with preaching. I'm okay with going to church. But all that worship, that gets a little crazy. I'm not sure if I really want to get involved in all that. Because the moment you get too close, He changes you. He affects you. All right. Are you guys ready? So worship demands encounter. But what happens once we encounter Him? So if we don't ever come near, there is no real worship that ever takes place. The real worship takes place when you're exposed to Him, when you get close to Him. But if worship demands encounter, encounter demands that He be exalted. The moment you get too close to God, you cannot help but begin to realize that in every area of your life, He is first. You cannot help but get close to God and then in every area just begin to say, oh my gosh, you are, you are those things. You begin to back away from every area that you held in control. A verse for this is, is not really a verse at all, it's more of a chapter, but Acts 9, I, want, I don't want to go there this morning. We don't have quite have time for it. But you all know the story. It's the story of Saul on the road of Damascus. And we have this man whose entire life is oriented around chasing down these, 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 these radicals, okay, these, these Christians, these followers of the Messiah. And his main primary purpose in life is to capture them and to put them in prison, sometimes even to assist in their murder. And so we see this guy who has pure motives. He believes in the most deep place in his heart that he is doing this for God. And yet, he's on the road, he's on his way to go, to, to go catch this new band he heard about, and then here comes God, all of a sudden he has an encounter with Jesus. It's a bright light, it's a flash, it's a loud noise, but some things happen. He gets knocked off his horse, he gets blinded, he gets confused, he gets lost, and he gets abandoned. Now, this is a powerful picture of what takes place during encounter. And what we see with, with Saul is that this one encounter with God transforms everything about the man. 
He never again looks the same. He never again acts the same. His life is not about the same things. Everything that Saul was is abandoned from one encounter with God. And he comes out of that encounter forever changed. And here's the thing about this. True worship demands encounter. But encounter always creates change. If you're taking notes, here we go. There are, here are four things that change in us when we truly encounter God. Here's the first one. It's our time. If you guys remember this, this year, whenever we were, we were starting it, I felt like the Lord gave me a special word for our church. And it was that there were four things He was saying that needed to take place in us this year. And it was that we would have open time, open eyes, open minds, and open hearts. And what's funny is that this is exactly each of the areas that transform when we encounter God. Here's the first one. Time. The moment that you come face to face with God, encounter with God clears our calendar and resets our priorities. How do I explain that? When you're avoiding God, everything else is so important. I've got my work, I've got my bills, I've got this, I've got that. These things can take up so much room in my life, but the moment that I come next to Him, everything else seems so small. Now, if you're hearing me share this, and if this isn't, this isn't taking you back to a place where you've had this experience, then you've never really truly encountered God. Because the moment that you even get a taste of Him, Everything else seems small. Have you ever experienced that? Five people. All right, let's get the worship team back up now. Five people. All right, have you ever experienced that? Just, just a moment, a second, where all of a sudden, something about what you are taking in with God, if it's a passage from a scripture, if it's a line from a song, if it's a sensation or a feeling or an experience where God comes through, there's a moment where everything else just fades away. And you feel like you could stay in that moment forever. Have you ever experienced that? Yes? If you haven't, we need to fix that. In that moment, you feel like you would do anything. Jesus, I would do anything for you. I'd give up this and this. Right? Have you ever done that? Come on, Stephen. I know you have. Amen, brother, right? I know you have. Jesus, I'd do anything for you. I'd change everything. I'd give you anything you want. The moment you're in that place, everything just seems like, ugh. Oh. In, the, in that place, the Apostle Paul makes complete sense. Everything is dung. Everything is poop compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. There is a moment there where that thing which you are missing is filled just in that encounter, just by being close to Him. And so the first thing that happens in encounter, and again, remember this, we're talking about worship because to worship means to encounter. So this is, in essence, the first stages of entering into real worship. When we encounter Him, the first thing that takes place is everything else is unimportant. He matters most. He opens up our time. He rearranges our priorities. This is why worship's so powerful because worship is where we reorient. This is where we put Him back as God in our lives. The only way for you to stay in control is to stay away from the Lord. Did you get that one? I'm telling you, that's one of those right there. Avoidance is the only way for you to remain in control of your life. Avoidance is the only way for you to stay in control of your life. If you cannot honestly tell me 
how you truly worship the Lord. If you cannot think of or remember a time when you were just, you, you encounter God in a way that made you want to push everything aside, then I guarantee you, you are heavy, you are frustrated, and you're carrying the weight of your life on your shoulders. Did you hear me? Avoidance is the only way for you to stay in control. If you are in control of your life, you are avoiding the Lord. The moment you come face to face with Him, everything goes out the window. He changes everything. And again, if I were talking to just anybody, I wouldn't even talk about this. But I'm, I'm supposed to be talking to followers of Jesus. People who have forsaken their lives, who have the old self has died, the new self has come, your agenda died, and all that matters to you is the kingdom of God. And that's everyone, right? Everyone's trying, right? That's the point. If you have the heart to try, then you are following Jesus. You are a believer. And if that's your heart, then this is the key to fix it. If you want things to change, get close to the Lord. Stop hiding. What walls are you putting up in your life to avoid the Lord? And again, worship and encounter is not about music or songs or lights or anything like that. It starts in your heart. What walls have you been separating yourself from God with? What areas of fear or pain or control have you been keeping to keep Him just far enough to where He doesn't affect you? Once He begins to encounter us instantly. He is the number one priority. Our calendars are open wide. Whatever you want, Lord, have your way. The second thing that takes place is open eyes. Encounter provides heavenly perspective and stirs faith as we see God maximized and opposition minimized. We talked about this. We talked about whatever we worship, we elevate, right? Whatever you fix your mind and your heart on will become larger and larger in your life. If it's problems, if it's success, if it's your family, and again, some of these things are good things. But whatever we begin to fix ourselves on, to take it in, I'm, I'm spending my, my time, my energy, I'm devoting my strength, my thoughts, my emotions, whatever you pour yourself into, you're worshiping, and that thing grows in size. And as that thing takes up room in your life, guess what loses room? Jesus. And then you come to church and you hear these things. Yeah, yeah, it's all great, but now I have to go back to the real world. And you can only say that because you're avoiding the Lord. Because the moment you get close to Him, nothing else seems big at all. Because nothing else is big at all next to Him. I feel preachy today, right? Kind of weird? I know, right? What's going on with the preachy thing? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Preachy. Preach up. Need a napkin, something up here, you know. Had to get the organ going, right? Come on, honey. Come on, get up here with me, a little. All right. He opens up our time, he opens up our eyes, what's the next thing that takes place? The third thing to go, the third domino to fall is our minds. And again, just picture it, okay? You're with him. You begin to just experience even just a, just, just a smallest amount. Everything else just fades away. All of a sudden, your eyes are opened. He's, he's bigger than everything. All this junk I was so consumed with is nothing. And the next thing is it affects my mind, my thinking. And what takes place in encounters, it makes the impossible seem possible. It breeds fresh solutions and ideas and removes the mental fog of fatigue. When you haven't spent time with the Lord, you are tired. 
There's something about being with the Lord that refreshes and renews. It sharpens. It hones everything about us. Because it's, it's the only home that you're ever designed for. It's the only place where you'd be fully relaxed, fully able to just take in and just let down. And the moment that we begin to have encounter, He begins to renew this part of us. He renews our minds. And the last thing is our hearts. Encounter renews strength, restores hope, and washes away the numbness of disappointment and despair. You will always be disappointed when you avoid the Lord. Always. And what happens is sometimes it's because of disappointment that we avoid the Lord. Because things didn't work out. He didn't do what we wanted him to do. This person hurt me. Whatever it is, we begin to use this as one of the shields. But disappointment is heavy. It's weighty. It wears on you. You might be a tough person and you, know, you can handle it for a while. But you can only handle it for a while. And the moment it gets too strong for you, you're going to start handing it off to other people. If you have a spouse who is avoiding the Lord, I guarantee you, you're a little heavy too. I guarantee you, you are a little heavy. Come on. It's so funny. Everyone's like, no, not me. It's not, not me. I'm not heavy. Preach to them. Get them. When you are carrying a load on yourself, you can only do it so long. So you either collapse or you begin to carry and to, sh- to kind of share that, that load with other people, but not in a good way. Someone who's, who's bitter, who's wounded, who's hurt, shares that joy with everybody. Have you ever been around somebody at the moment they come around, you're just like, ooh, I feel it. <laughs> Get away from that person, right? I mean, come on. There's, there are some people that we know, right, just come straight to your mind. Oop, I, I'm not going to think about them. That's a sin, right? Come on, be nice, right? That's what happens, okay? It begins to overwhelm us, and we either just break down completely, or we learn how to just hand it to everyone we see. Here you go. Here's some, here's some hurt and offense and bitterness. Here you go. We spread it everywhere we go. Would you like to know what fixes that? Encounter fixes that. There's no person or situation or accomplishment or gift or promise or if this happened or if that happened, none of it will ever fill the void. Encounter is the only thing that shakes the weight. It's the only thing that restores your soul. Encounter. It's the only thing. So the moment that we begin to encounter God, again, as we encounter Him, we begin to, it's almost like we, we begin to step out of the way and allow Him to take back His seat, okay? His, his place, his, the highest place of priority and authority in our lives. And, and so we give Him authority in our choices, in our time, in our lives. We give Him authority, you know, with, with the things that we see and the perspective we have. We give Him authority in our thinking, in our minds, and of course in our hearts. And once this has taken place, once we have completely backed away from that, and we're just allowing ourselves to take our rightful seat, not as God, not as judge, not as Lord, but as beloved, then everything changes. If you guys have your Bibles, let's go to Psalm 23. Now, if you guys would like my notes, I've got all sorts of verses that we haven't gone to today. I promise I have reasons for saying everything I've said. We didn't quite have the time to hit it all this morning. If you'd like that, uh, it's available to you. Psalm 23. Understand that it's encounter that leads us into a place of complete, carefree reliance upon the Lord, where we allow Him to fill every need. 
So what takes place is this. As we encounter Him, again, we begin to allow Him to take His role in our lives, and we take our place. And in essence, it's kind of one of those things where it's almost like uh, when I'm teaching my son to play baseball. You know, it's like we got the bat. Now, he is pretty good, so this doesn't quite fully work with him. But, you know, the first time, you know, you're kind of standing behind him, you know, you, you know you're kind of holding the bat. When you go into encountering the worship, you let your dad hold the bat for you. All right, here comes that problem. And, you know, you kind of get that sense, yeah, I did it, yeah, I was involved, I was holding the bat. <laughs> but the moment that you enter into worship and to encounter, you're allowing him to come and say, oh, yeah, 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 you got this one. <laughs> yeah, it was all you, son, you did that whole thing. You're allowing God to play his role. You're allowing God to be God in your life. And so we see with David, you know, he, he's one of the most famous pictures of worship. He fully understood how to mess everything in his life up, but the only saving grace of this man was that he always knew how to return to the Lord, how to drop everything, and how to allow him to retake his place and just trust that he couldn't fix the things he ruined, but maybe the Lord could. And so in this psalm, Psalm 23, one of the most famous ones, I'm sure you guys have all heard it. Let's go ahead and read it. Here's what it says, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the path, the right path for His namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of darkness, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely Your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want you to understand that this is more than just a very kind of a sweet, sweet psalm or song. This, this psalm breaks down in Hebrew every one of the primary functions of God for Israel. Now, I don't have time to go into all that, but the actual Hebrew names of God and His roles, okay? Each one is listed in this psalm, and it's, it's, it's designed to remind them of his roles in his life. He's our protector. Okay, He's our provider. He's the one who restores our soul. And so for us, we're going to kind of look at it in the same way. Understand that the first part of this worship experience is called the brook. If you look in, in verses 2 through 3, we see this picture where he leads us to a place to refresh us. When you begin to lay down control of your life, you are, in essence, giving him the wheel. Here, you go ahead and take the driver's seat. I'll just kind of sit here and play with the other wheel. You, you, yeah, you guys have kids, you know what that is, right? The other wheel, okay. You guys all have, like, digital cars, right? Okay, well, if you don't, you still have, like, the round knob. Here, you know, here, son, here's your wheel. I'm going to take this one. Okay, all right. You guys all have nice cars. All right, well, you haven't seen the church van. That's what I drive. Okay, we still got a wheel on that sucker. I don't know how much longer it's going to last. But the brook is a place where he leads us after encounter. Once we encounter and we begin to step aside, this gives God the ability to lead us to a safe place of restoration. Okay? And again, this sounds like this big monumental thing. This can take place after you know, six years of dryness and having despair and pain, whatever in your life, or it can take place just in an average moment with the Lord. This is something he does every time with us. He, he, he's able to lead us to a place of safety that we cannot lead ourselves. 
And so it's at the brook, which again is seen in verse, uh, verses 2 through 3. In true worship, we drop the weights and worries of the world and allow the Lord to lead us into refreshing as He restores our soul. You can't lead yourself to that place. It's one of the weirdest things. It's almost like, it's almost like that, that moment of peace and sanity where you just shake off all the weight and the worry and you're just carefree. It's so close, but somehow we can never find it on our own. I know that I've tried to recreate it so many times. I know that one time I, I had a really great experience with the, with the Lord at, at this one cabin, so I wanted to go back to it. So, you know, if I needed rest, I would go recreate it. Okay, I'm going back to the cabin. I'm going to put the same song. We're going to, you know, have that time we had. And you're like, it's not the same. You had those Sundays in church where, oh, man, played my song, and I, I had that moment of just, ooh. And then all of a sudden you try to find it again, and it's not there. Understand that there is no formula to this, okay? There's no way to, to force it, to make it on your own. This place of restoration only happens when we yield to the Lord. If you are tired, it's because you are fighting the Lord's plan for your life. Notes. If you are tired, it's because you are fighting the Lord's plan for your life. Did you hear that? When you yield control, you allow Him to lead you to the exact place where you can find rest for your soul. He leads us beside quiet waters. Sometimes quiet is the biggest thing we want to find when we're fighting the Lord. Everything's so crazy, we're so tired, so hectic, but there's something about the Lord where He always wants to be found in stillness. He's, always, he's never someone who's willing to just kind of ride along. I used to have these long lists of Meetings I had to do. Okay, I have to meet this person, this person. And I have all these things to do. So some of the people that I was like, oh, these guys are, you know, they semi need to meet with me. What I would do is, you know, I'd have them meet with me in the car. So I'm driving, dude, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He won't take that spot. My wife will never take that spot. She won't go with me to do anything church-related or... It, it, <laughs> We're supposed to have dates. We're supposed to have dates, right? If I try to turn date night into work night, I'm in trouble. She wants full, complete focus and time. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. We are right here. There's something about the Lord that says, only in the stillness when you stop everything else, I'll show up. So the first part that happens in worship, the first place He leads us is to a place where He can restore us. And it can happen as a big, huge moment in your life, and it can happen every day. Happens every single time that you yield to the Lord in your heart. Here's, just, here's the second place to take place. After He's restoring us, in the same time He's restoring us, there's something else taking place in worship. It's called the battle. Now, there are all sorts of other verses and scriptures and references of, um, of this. And again, if you would like the notes, I'd love to give them to you. But the battle, it's in worship that we lay down the burden to win and fight our own battles. And we worship instead of war. And what takes place in this is when you choose to worship instead of war on your own, when you choose to make time for the Lord instead of making time to fix all your problems, to do all your to-do lists, when you make that time, all of a sudden you are releasing God to be God. You're releasing God to do the things you think that are you're supposed to do. And so as you're being restored at the brook, He's out fighting your battles for you. There are things that you have been fighting. Amen, I'll take that. Come on. 
We need that tambourine going. Where are we going? <laughs> She's like, don't you call me out with the tambourine. <laughs> She's the only one who's allowed to play a tambourine in this place. All right, anyway. You know, and it's just kind of one of those things where it's like there are things where we push and we fight against. There's, there's, there's areas of disappointment, areas of stronghold, places where we just don't want to let anyone in, areas of hurt. And these areas, we always go to the Lord and say, well, how come you haven't done this? Why haven't you shown up? And if you love me, you know, how come you didn't do this? And in essence, he's always saying, let me. Let me in. Let me fight your battles. Let me fix your problem. Get out of the driver's seat, and I'll do it for you. I have found the moments when I am the most angry with the Lord are the moments when I am not allowing Him to be Lord of my life. So, the moment we begin to enter in with the Lord, He takes us to, to a place to restore us by the brook. He begins to fight our battles for us. We sent that in verses uh, 4. And then He takes us to a third place, which is a little bit odd. Sounds weird, but stay with me. He takes us to the bubble, okay? And I'll explain the bubble. Just stay with me. All right. In the bubble, our complete reliance upon the Lord allows His perfect peace to protect and, gu- and guard our hearts and minds, no matter the storm outside. Verses 5 and 6. Let's, let's go ahead and go to that in Psalms. Verses 5 and 6. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This whole picture about... <laughs> You know, in essence, being invited to sit at a table and to eat this amazing meal with my enemy right there. I love that. I mean, we're playing volleyball yesterday, okay, with a bunch of has-beens, right? The moment someone gets a, a spike, they're like, ooh, you know, <laughs> come on, stay with me, okay? Okay. It's a bunch of old men with a net, and, you know, I mean, you know, he jumped this high off the ground, but that's okay. You know, he's hanging on the net, but that's okay, too. But, I mean, the fact that he can get there and be like, and the guy's right there, see? See what I did? I mean, there's something about it, right? Yes, you can't touch me. The net. (laughs) You had to be there, okay, right? Hey. David didn't come today. He should have came today. Oh, I would have rubbed it in so bad if he came today. Oh, my goodness. Okay. And what happens is when you begin to enter into worship, it's almost like this invisible bubble happens. It's like before worship, you are just being... You're drowning in the waves of frustration, doubt, questions, anger. I'm exhausted. I'm frustrated and angry. I can't fix it. Well, I'm going to fix it. And I'm blah, blah, blah. I'm alone. Blah, 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 blah. But the moment that you begin to let down and to worship the Lord, there's this just, it's almost like you're just in this bubble of happiness, man. It's almost like the 60s all over again. You just, mm, everything's great in this bubble, man. I mean, you can be in the middle of a terrible situation and you just got a smile on your face. I'm not someone who goes to the bubble naturally, <laughs> okay? I don't naturally get like that. I mean, it takes an encounter with Jesus to make me not see my problems, okay? I'm a problem solver. That's what I believe my, my calling in life is. Okay, let, let, let's, okay we, we could do this or we could do this. Or we, and so for me to not try to fix it and just be like, I'm good, I'm happy, it takes that encounter. There are some people who, <laughs> who could have had that more naturally, but, you know, we won't call you guys out. We see, 
In the same way, we see this with the Apostle Paul who shared with us, and he says, you know, that, that it's, it's in this ability to trust the Lord, okay, to, to, to entrust ourselves to Him where He guards our heart, hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. It's the same picture. It's the bubble, okay? It's the weirdest thing to where it doesn't matter what's going on around you, you are okay. There's peace here. I don't have the answer yet. I have no clue what's going to happen, but I'm okay about it. I'm fine. And what's really cool about the bubble is that you can let people into it. In the same way that person who's been carrying around all the weight and they just love to hand it to everyone they see, when you're in the bubble, you can invite people in. Hey, it's going to be fine. Come on in here. It's, it's all good in here. See? It's nice and warm. It's cool. We're all fine and safe. Have you guys been in a bubble before? Those stupid, uh, those, all those dumb balls that you had to get in. I mean, come on. It's like the hamster balls. Have you guys done that before? It's not like a hamster ball. <laughs> those are hot and sweaty and nasty. People's feet been all over. It's bad. Terrible. It's not like a hamster ball, so don't picture that, okay? Come on. Laugh at me a little bit. I mean, have you been in a hamster ball? They smell. It's not like that at all. It's like cloud nine, okay? And it's this amazing thing. When you get into an atmosphere of worship, and I, again, I don't, don't want to get crazy with it, but when you are with the Lord, okay, and He is just in you and around you, you can bring people into it. And you can bring someone from their chaos into your peace. It's one of the most beautiful things. And so I love to surround myself with people who have bubbles. <laughs> bring me into it. I need it. Who has... <laughs> who... Um, who was here last year for Bishop Duku? South African, okay? You probably didn't understand a word he said, all right? But he smiled, he was loud, he said it like he knew what he was talking about, right? I love that guy. Love that guy. I still have to, to make sure I know what he's saying half the time, okay? But he will be around you for five seconds and give you a hundred compliments. It's the great, oh, okay, yeah, I'm great. No, you're right. I am awesome. You're right. I do rock. <laughs> I mean, and I, okay, I've known him, what, you, what would you say, about seven years we've known him? I've never once seen him not smiling. It kind of made me angry. I was like, is that like an African thing? Then I met some other pastors. No, no, not an African thing. It's a Bishop Duku thing. This guy, I mean, <laughs> You'll be talking to him, and it's hard to pry out of him, you know, some problems going on. But, but I do it. I always want to know, okay, how, how is he acting like this? Is, is everything really okay, or is he just that spiritual and I'm not? And it's that. But, but, you know, you'll find out, you know, oh, he's facing this and this, and, you know, like, government's out to get him. You know, he's been threatened with jail. He needs to come up with $3 million in a week, blah, blah, blah. But he's good. No big deal. And I love that man. I mean, I'm telling you, he will walk in this room and just begin to bring everyone into the bubble. Bring everyone into that peace, into that joy. It's because he lives in a constant state of worship. Constant state. And I watch him. The moment he gets bad news, he just backs away from everyone. Oh, God, I love you, God. You know, I mean, nonstop. Just making sure he stays in complete connection and reminding himself that God is in control, not him. Amen? All right, so how do we do this? Okay, it sounds great. It sounds awesome, you know. Yeah, it sounds nice to have a bubble. I'd like to have a bubble. How do we get there, okay? If you have your Bibles, let's go to James chapter 4. We're going to fly through this. 
James chapter 4. I'll explain to you how do we enter into worship. How does this really happen? We understand worship demands encounter. Encounter changes us, but how do we get there? Here's how we get there. James chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and well. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. It doesn't sound super joyful. I'll explain the whole thing. Stay with me. Here's the first thing that happens, okay? The first, the first step you make into worship is choice. Worship begins with choice. And we'll use a Sunday morning because it's a great example. When you come in, you're tired. Oh, that's not my favorite song. Oh, this sounds bad. Oh, what's, what's up with that guy? He doesn't look at When you walk in and you're just this, choice. Am I going to stay here? Am I, am I hunky-dory with everything? You know, would I like to remain in control? Do I like the way things are going? Am I just content to stay right in this place and not move? Or am I going to choose to want better? Worship begins with choice. This is the most important aspect of worship. The choice to pursue God is the refusal to seek any other or yourself for change. Here's the thing. We all want things to be better. We all want change in the way we want them. The question is, who are you going to? When we choose not to worship, we believe that we can fix it or someone else or something else can fix it. More money, more time, the right person, the right promotion, the right success, the right thing with my family. If this and this and this happens, we'll be fine. We don't need God to get involved. Did you hear that one? When you choose not to worship, you believe someone else can fix and improve your life without the Lord. It's that simple. And when we choose to pursue God, we believe that He is He has the best way. He is the only way. We want Him nothing less. And of course, we see that in verse 7. It's very simple. Submit yourselves. To submit is to put yourself underneath. To again, to submit yourself to the Lord is to say, you are Lord, I am not. So we choose to pursue Here's the second step, pursuit. Some people I know, and of course, you know, we all do it. We say, all right, Lord, I'm here. Well, if he don't show up in five minutes, I'm going home. I mean, you've all done it, be honest, okay? I mean, you know, say, oh, I've done all the work. I've cho- Okay, fine, Lord, I give up. I'm here. Have your way. Once we make the choice, our choice is tested. Pursuit is the test of choice. How hard, how far, and how long will you pursue until you encounter or until you give up? Pursuit is the test of choice. If I won't pursue, I didn't really choose it. If, if I won't pursue him, that means I didn't really want him. Now that's one of those things you got to get up and down. If I don't pursue him, I didn't really want him in the first place. With your spouse, if you didn't pursue them, you need to have a talk when you go home. <laughs> if there wasn't a pursuit of that person, I want this person, I'm going after him. If it was kind of a, yeah, sure, why not? 
You might want them now, okay? We'll just say that, right? You might want them now, okay? We pursue what we want. If you look at your life, whatever you pursue the hardest, you want the most. Is it money? Is it respect? Is it success? Whatever you pursue the hardest, you want the most. We choose, we pursue, and then we encounter. Encounter is never predictable. Encounter is never predictable. And He never brings exactly what we wanted or when we wanted it, but always exactly what we need until next time. Did you get that? It's one of the most frustrating things about God. Okay, you're like, all right, here's my long list of answers I need, Lord. It's time to go seek him. I'm going to fast and pray, and he's going to show up. And he shows up, like, all right, Lord, here's my, you know, I need this, this, and this. Mm. He gives you enough till next time. He, he doesn't come when you want him to come. He doesn't come the way you want him to come. I remember I used to love the fact that whenever I first started to pursue the Lord, I felt like every time that I knew that he was there, I used to have this feeling. It was just like this kind of a sensation. Now again, I, I, you know, don't get worried about it. Okay, but there was just this feeling I get, you know. I used to be, oh, 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 come on, come on, come on. Oh, I got it. Yeah, he was there. He loves me. And all of a sudden, it wasn't there anymore. I was like, oh. But in the past, when I used to play that song, he showed up every time. In the past, I used to fast. I used to read this verse. I used to do this or that or that. And he'd show up. It's frustrating. He never comes the exact way we want him. He never brings what we want him to bring. He always brings what we need, and it's always enough till next time. We wish it was a one-time thing. We wish we could just climb that mountain, get close to him, have what we need. All right, see you later. But it's not that that he desires. And so he keeps us coming back for more and for more, and it becomes a reliance. He has to be your source, nothing else. And so after encounter comes change. True encounter always leaves a mark. Did you get that? True encounter always leaves a mark. In some way, shape, or fashion, genuine, open-hearted encounter with God, it always causes us to leave more like Jesus than we came. Every time. All right, let's go ahead and stand, and we're going we're gonna to end this thing. Be interesting. Nisa, I didn't tell you this, but I want you to come on.